Hey there, everyone. My name's Ken, and uh, this is our first attempt. Technical difficulties aside, <laughs> first attempt at doing a noise-free podcast, and uh, we're going to abort here. This is our no. We're not going to abort. Oh, we're going through. We're going through with it. This is what it is. This is you know warts and all. So again, I'm Ken. Obviously, this is the sound of my voice, and across from me, I'm Jim, and this is the sound of Ken's voice <laughs> when it's going through Jim's vocal cords. So the name of the podcast is Off the Record. That's all we're going to tell you. It's a vinyl podcast. Vinyl, kind of in quotes. Yeah, but uh, we should tell everyone what the the premise is of the podcast here. Oh, there's a premise? I think there is. There is. A a couple years ago, Ken, you uh, surprised me by saying you'd gone out and gotten a turntable and had gotten into the, the vinyl thing. I had. And that prompted still me. Am. Yeah, that prompted me to dust off my own turntable and uh, and re-enter the vinyl thing. Uh, so here we are, I guess you know, a couple years later, and uh, you know, we had determined that it was time to do a podcast, and uh, not just any podcast, but uh, basically combining um, the fact that we love music, and there's certain. Uh, Bands and albums that we consider uh, in the uh, upper echelon that deserve to be talked about from time to time. Absolutely. So we've we had a couple ideas about topics and themes for podcasts. Uh, you know, we talked about each of us picking a, a different album and covering two or more albums in a single podcast. Uh, but then we also decided to uh, talk about albums that we both own on vinyl and that we both love on vinyl. And that's what we're going to do here. Correct. For this, for and this. Hopefully, in the future, we're going to uh, be able to add, bring in, for lack of a better word, guests uh, to the show, and they can bring in a favorite album of theirs, and we can, you know, they can play it and go over what they like about it, and we can discuss that. Absolutely. But maybe c- even do it, maybe even do this podcast on location sometime in the future. There you go. But uh, for this initial uh, episode, anyway, we're going to keep it in-house, and it's just the two of us, and it's an album that uh, both of us absolutely love. I think it's uh, certainly in my top 10 albums of all time. Oh, it's certainly my top 10 albums. And uh, the album, why don't you go ahead and tell the folks uh, what the album is, Ken? The album is, it's a Van Halen album. It's probably not the first one that comes to everyone's mind, to everyone's mind except for maybe the most stalwart fans of Van Halen. I agree. I think if you're in the know, if you consider yourself a VH aficionado, uh, this is considered by many uh, of the VH loyal uh, to be the best, if not one of the top three best VH albums. Correct. I agree. Uh, did you say the name of the album yet? I did not. The album is uh, Fair Warning. There you go. Fair Warning. Oddly enough, even though that many people, again, as you say, in the know, consider it um, one of their best, I was actually reading, doing a little research, not a lot. This podcast is not going to be heavy on research. No. Just f- fair Warning. Ooh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Be warned. Um, but um, it was actually the slowest selling album of the Roth era. And its critical reception was pretty varied. Actually, Rolling Stone only gave it two and a half out of five stars. Yeah, but what do they know? They don't know anything. I'll just remind you, years and years ago, you know, we were in a bookstore. We picked up a book about Van Halen. I remember this. You do remember this. I totally yeah, remember vividly. this. And uh we got to find this book again, just because it was so... Just so we can find the guy who wrote this. Yeah, but uh, 
I, I just remember very vividly that the author panned va uh, Fair Warning completely. And uh, I can't remember the words or phrases that, that he employed, but he, he, he put it down pretty roundly, embarrassingly so. Yeah, like uh, almost like someone who never really listened to music to me. <laughs> yeah, or at least had never listened to that album in particular. But it's been called the darkest of all the Van Halen albums. Yeah, I could see that. Certainly, I could see that. It was the fourth studio album by Van Halen. It was released in April of 1981, uh, shortly after Eddie had married Valerie Bertinelli. I wonder if that's why it was so dark. Perhaps, perhaps. Kind of a sad honeymoon, you're thinking? Yeah, maybe. But uh, a sad, drunken honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whiskey dick. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that term. You're not familiar with that term? No. You're not familiar with whiskey dick? No. Where you drink so much whiskey you can't get it up? Yeah. Okay, that's bad. That's bad. We should have really invested on uh, pop screens for these microphones. <laughs> All right, so... All right, uh, so uh, I think we're just going to get right into the meat of it after that awkward pregnant pause. What are we going to do then? I think we're going to play the at least some of the first track, not the whole thing. Oh, this isn't the first track. I'm sorry. It's okay. You know, we talked about technical difficulties here. It's okay. It's our first one. That's your mulligan. It is. It's our mulligan. <laughs> and just in the, uh, you know, in the interest of uh, full disclosure here, we are not playing this on vinyl. We're actually using a CD player. Correct. Okay. I think uh, here we go. So this is track number one, titled Mean Streets. Sorry, Mean Street, singular. Oh, sorry. Ken said this wasn't heavy on research. No, not he was right. <laughs> and right off the bat, you know, from the very first line, you get the feeling that this is not a Van Halen party. Album. No, it's, it's 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 not a not a party vibe from the start. No, it's it's quite quite the opposite. It's turned into a dark alley right off the bat. Yeah, like you found yourself in the wrong part of town from the moment this album starts. A little nugget I know, you know the intro there, Eddie doing some haphazard tapping there. Uh, I remember reading a quote from Eddie saying that years later, he couldn't remember how to play that. Shocking. Yeah, and the try as he might, he, uh, he had great difficulty in, in reproducing that. I meant shocking somewhat. Facetiously? Facetiously. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know you do. I'm surprised he remembered the name of the song. I come not to trash Eddie. I, I mean, Eddie obviously is a huge influence on a lot of guitar players, and rightly so. Now, Ken, I want to show you the uh, the photo of the band 
from the album insert. Yes. Insert here. Just these disembodied heads floating with a lot of feathered hair. A lot of feathered a, hair. Against a, a deep ink black background. Roth, Roth looks like he's trying. He's doing a little of the duck lips, but he's trying not to do it fully. And I think you can't really see it here, but I think they're all wearing leather jackets or yeah, I at, think so. at least dark colored members only jackets. <laughs> Again, kind of a nod kind of a nod to the more street tough, you know feel of the album. Rough vibe. Rough of the vibe of the album. Yeah. You got it, yeah. Were there any hits off this album? I think, I believe Unchained was. I don't know how much of a hit. Yeah, and I think to the casual. I don't know how much it hit mainstream radio. And I think to the casual listener, uh, Unchained may be the only track off this album that most people would know. Probably, yeah. Nice breakdown in the song. I think it's worth noting here that the, the backing vocals, which I've heard described as the sunshine backing vocals on, on other Van Halen albums, are pushed very much to the, the background here. They are, they are very much in the background. The backing vocals are subdued. The, they're not happy sounding. Yeah. No, uh, no covers on this album as opposed to... That's true. Yeah. You know, Van Halen 1 had uh, You Really Got Me. Van Halen 2, I believe the first song on that is that, is that You're No Good is actually a Linda Ronstadt cover. Yeah. But yeah. nothing of the sort on this album. Music is more complex, I think, than their earlier albums. It's 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 much more complex, and it's it's this album always seemed to be more well-rounded in, in the fact that I, I I think Roth is writing better lyrics, more interesting lyrics. You know, again, Eddie's playing is darker, more intricate. Even the bass play, the bass playing seems to be a, a higher level now. I, again, some question whether or not that's Eddie playing or not. I'll give Michael Anthony the the benefit of the doubt and say that's his playing. But you know, overall, I think you know all four aspects of the band. I think is is working at, at full capacity in this album. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned Roth's lyrics. Uh, I think I had read that before this album was recorded, he had taken a trip to Nicaragua or Haiti, uh, some kind of depressed country like that. And it's possible that, you know, he might have seen poverty there. Uh, he might have gotten out of, you know, the, the United States, the L.A. zone, if it were. And those may have influenced his lyrics. I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. You're laughing with me. I'm laughing with you because I don't know if you're telling me the truth or not. <laughs> hey, you know, when you go on record as saying that the show is light on research, it opens up the door for... 
You could be punking me right now. I, I, I could. You could. I could. Track two here. Track two, Dirty Movies. One of my favorite. I love the, the opening leads in that. Very, um, very, very slidey. You don't hear Eddie do a lot of that. A little jazzy. Yeah. Do you know who one of Eddie's favorite guitarists was? He, he would always mention this guy in interviews. Interviews he gave in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking. Alan Holdsworth. Oh, that's yes, yes, yes. I'm not overly familiar. Yeah, as soon as he said it, yeah. yeah I'm not overly familiar with Alan Holdsworth's uh, music, but he's certainly more of a fusion jazz kind of guy, I would think. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of that uh, comes through what he's playing here. So this song, of course, is a, uh, an ode. Uh, to the sweet, innocent girl that you knew in high school that you meet a couple years later and she's uh, working at a... She's gotten into a different line of work, shall we something say. Something that you may or may not have expected. I mean, really, any Van Halen album, you know, where, where Dave starts kind of like talking. I'm reminded of um, um, a mutual friend of ours, Joe Brizzy. Of course. Who we had gone to a Van Halen concert. This is way back when we were in high school. And we had actually followed the band back to the Four Seasons Hotel. I got a drunken autograph from Eddie. He didn't even sign over his, his own picture in the, in the book. He signed over. So I think you, he were signed fi- you were physically close to Eddie Van. Halen. I was. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the next morning, Joe went to. He took one of his guitars. He went. He wanted to go and try to have Eddie sign the guitar. He wound up missing them, but he actually wound up bumping into, of all people, Robert Plant, who had been playing the night before Van Halen. I remember that story. And he said he was talking to him and. Robert Plant made the comment that he always found David Lee Roth a bit too cabaretish. Cabaretish? Oh my. I think it's certainly uh, fair to say that that Eddie favored Eddie. I'm sorry. Eddie favored Eddie. Dave. <laughs> uh, David Lee Roth favored showmanship over musicianship when he was live. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. I think anyone who's seen him live would have a hard time arguing with that. I think even back in the day, I think he had trouble remembering lyrics yeah, when he was yeah. performing live. Was it one of his old, his, uh, I, I didn't see this firsthand, but uh, I, I was told to this that, you know, like Eddie had the moment in the concert with the guitar solo, you know, Michael Anthony had the drunken bass solo where he was rolling on the ground with it. Alex had a drum solo, but Roth, not playing an instrument, would come out and do some type of like interpretive dance with swords swashbuckling around the stage. So you say swords, I thought it was flags. Well, maybe it was swords one tour and flags another. <laughs> well, you know. Although, wasn't he known to play the acoustic guitar every once in a while? I'm not, I'm, personally, I'm not aware of that. 
because he did. I believe he played the guitar on Ice Cream Man. And I think more recently in their uh, reunion tours, uh, I think he is playing the acoustic guitar. But back in the day, it was swords for him. Swords. Swords and spandex. Spandex and swashbuckling. (laughs) So track three we're into, right? We are into track three. Center swing. If there's one part to the album that kind of reminds me that seems a little less like the rest of the album, it's that section right there where they're where they're singing get 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 out and push. You got it. That almost reminds me a little bit of Hot for Teacher for some reason. Little foreshadow. Yeah, you know, well you know like in the video where they're like they're dancing like 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 the four tops, they're all wearing the same suit. For some reason I can picture them doing that singing this part. Yeah. Yeah. Now you can hear the bass on this album. You yes. Know, if you go back to the first album, you don't hear the bass very much. Not much. And I, I think I'd remembered reading that uh, the producer, Ted Templeman, on the first album, he said, all I wanted to hear was that guitar. He wanted Eddie Van Halen's guitar because it was so revolutionary and so good. Didn't matter if there was any bass playing on that album. But uh, here, the bass is uh, a little more forward. It's, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very well mixed in here. Again, like I said before, I think they... From an album standpoint, they're all very... They're hitting on all cylinders. And yet that, that sense of hitting on, cylinder, on, all, hitting on all cylinders uh, comes despite the fact that they were kind of fractious during the recording process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, from the things I've read that... Uh, Eddie would come in in the middle of the night and, you know, and, and record his parts. Yeah, and he, uh, he was kind of at loggerheads with the producer, Ted Templeman. So he would go in late at night with the engineer, I believe, Don Landy. Uh, and the two of them uh, would lay down a lot of the tracks, uh, unbeknownst to the producer or the rest of the band. But it works. I'll be honest, I have not heard this track in... Years in a long time, long time. Oh, well, sit back and get some uh, real impressions from you then. A little bit of phaser there on the guitar, those two notes are really great. Come when they come in, when they come in all distorted. And again, if you think back to the first album in particular, Eddie's guitar was just drenched in reverb. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that here. I almost wonder if the bass guitar was just recorded direct into the board. It's a very dry sound to it. Yeah.
So what you're saying is you didn't listen to the album prior to doing this podcast. No, I, I actually wanted to come in a little bit. Like, there's certain songs that you want it to be cold that show up on my rot- my you know my iPod rotation, iPhone rotation, whatever you want to call it these days. But I yeah I didn't want I wanted to come in and be cold, particularly you know in some of the songs that I haven't heard in a while. I wanted to have as much of a reaction as hearing it for the first time. Obviously, that's impossible, but. So I gather that you don't listen to albums in their entirety very much these days. Uh, if I have them on vinyl, yes. Okay, but if you're listening through any other medium, yeah, it's you're, you're not listening to albums in their entirety. Uh, sometimes, but not 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 as often as I do on vinyl. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, listening on vinyl, of course, forces you to listen to the album, or at least one mm-hmm. side of the album, right. in its entirety. pretty solid cowbell there from Alex. You know, later in the 80s, or maybe in the 90s, the, the cowbell would become an object of derision. But well, in, I think anything that gets overused is eventually going to become an <laughs> object of derision. Eddie took a solo, but I think he's going to take kind of a second solo here. Very unusual. Not a lot of uh, early VH songs where he takes a second solo. You see, I've heard this song recently. That's how I knew there'd be a second solo. Right. Is it really a second solo or is it more of an outro, though? Am I splitting hairs with you? Kind of a soul trope. <laughs> Just let your soul trope. I'm hearing some double bass coming from Alex there. Or maybe that's just uh, the Ted, ba- maybe that's the bass guitar playing just a lot of quick notes. Ted Teltman knocking on the door. <laughs> let me in, Eddie. What are you doing in there, Ed? Let me in there. Let me mix it. Stop coming. I know you're coming in the middle of the night. Stop it. Getting a little ahead of ourselves there. Oh, sorry. We have sponsors to. Uh, of course. We have sponsors. Got to pay uh, the bills. We do. We do. We have sponsors to. Uh, you know, when you devote, when you devote your entire livelihood to music like we do, and you just don't have time, you know, for a, a 40 hour work week and you just can't can't hold down a steady job you need you need money to come from alternative sources and that's that, that that's the pickle we're that's pretty much what we're doing here so jim i gotta ask you do you like hot dogs you, you, i do i do i don't get to eat them a lot because my wife does not enjoy hot dogs for dinner do you like uh do you like the band cinderella uh yeah i did at one point until right. you, you ruined the cassette that i loaned you <laughs> long did cold, i really do long that? i ruined that you know 
I gave you a couple cassettes back in the remember. day, and when you would <laughs> I give, could very well when have. you returned those cassettes to me, they didn't play the same. I'm sorry. One of them was Ingve Malmsteen. I'm sorry. Uh, and well, that other, one I played to death. And the other was Long Cold Winter. <laughs> so something was going on with your Craig or uh, Tiak cassette player, whatever you had. That was uh, Emerson. Emerson. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I knew it was one of those high end brands. Right, high end. If by high end you mean it was on the top shelf and I couldn't reach it. It was it was on the top <laughs> shelf in Clover and right. you, you couldn't reach it. Yeah. But um then uh, I I'm very pleased to uh have this sponsor for us because really they're keeping us in business. All here, right. So um I'm looking forward to seeing this. <laughs> I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea what they're saying. Really? You don't know what they're saying? You can't hear what they're saying? Pat's Chili Dogs? Pat's Chili Dogs. Pat's Chili Dogs. McDade Boulevard and, I don't know, some other location. Uh, something happened. I can't really hear my, my microphone now. Yeah, neither can I. What did you do? Did you punch something in? Do you have to punch back out maybe? Hello? Hello? I told you you'd have a lot of editing to do post. You didn't turn this down too far, did you? Ah, that's what it is. There we go. You must have backed that down. I did. I did back it down. Okay. All right, so so what you just played me was Cinderella. Cinderella. Doing an audio advertisement spot for Pat's Chili Dogs. Pat's Chili Dogs. Well, I can assure you I've never heard that before and had no idea it existed. I got to show you the video. I, I actually ripped that from a YouTube video. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There's video. There is video. The video is, the video is even better. Video is even better. Oh, man. All right. Where are we at here? Where are we at? We, uh, I think we're going to be starting side, uh, starting side two. Okay. I'm gonna I mean, we kind of already did. I got to put a little more in my glass before we start side two. All right. That's, that's reasonable. Would you like to know what you're drinking today? I would Kim? love to know what I'm drinking because it is quite tasty. You like it? I love it. This is the other Tennessee whiskey. This is George Dickel, Tennessee whiskey. Well, George Dickel, you make some fine stuff. I mean, you're not exact. You're not a paying sponsor, but I'm going to give you the. Uh, I'm going to give you the on air time there. Yeah, a couple years ago, we were down in the Nashville area, and. Uh, you know, certainly Jack Daniels is a pretty popular tourist destination, but I like to go, you know, a little off the grid a little off bit. Off the beaten path. Yeah, I totally e- agree with Exactly. That. So, uh, you know, the, the arguably better Tennessee whiskey, uh, but by far the lesser known, is George Dickel. I don't, personally, um, I don't think it's much of an argument. Oh, goodness, no. No, I'm... Um, now, during the tour... If you had told me this was Tennessee whiskey, I might before I drank it, I might have said, no, thank you. You might have. I might have, because I'm not a fan of really Jack Daniels. Uh, 
Sorry, folks below the Mason-Dixon line. I'm not a fan of a, a lot of the Southern spirits. In a blind taste test. But um, Skull. Skull. Now, Ken, I'm going to feed you eggs sometime without telling you what they are. That's going to be a neat trick. You're going to love them. It's going to be a real neat trick. (sighs) This is the sound of us drinking whiskey. All right, where are we at here? We are at um, Unchained. Okay, so I got to cue this up. Cue it up, brother. Okay, here we go. This should be Unchained. Again, probably the the track, the single track off this album that would come come to mind for most people. Yeah, definitely the most, uh, probably the most iconic riff off the album. As a matter of fact, I think I have read that Eddie said this is one of, if not the most favorite riff he's ever written. This one riff, I know, I know our our friend slash drummer slash guitar player Jeff Villardo knows how to play that riff during the verse, and it's one of those riffs that I always had trouble playing. Really? Yeah. Jeff knows too much for his own good. Really. He does. Again, that bass guitar, so dry. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it probably was piped in directly. You know, I got to think that this really is Michael Anthony playing the bass because if it had been Eddie, it wouldn't have been as simple as it is. Yeah. I mean, certainly in that song. And I, I mean, I think in other songs it's a bit more complex and, and more than more than you associate with your typical Michael Anthony bass line. But certainly this is... This is right in his normal wheelhouse. Now, you know, on earlier albums, they had kind of flirted with disco, but was disco dead by this point? 81? Yeah. It was on life support, if not already yeah. dead, I think, yeah. A pretty short solo, short and sweet on this song. Short, sweet, and tasty, though. Oh, tasty. Much like this Tennessee whiskey. I guess it's kind of fitting. Michael Anthony would drink a bottle of Jack. So, he would. So Tennessee whiskey figures into the, the Van Halen. I mean, he would drink an entire bottle of... Well, he would drink and spill a lot on the stage during his bass solo. It could have been iced tea. Though. Really. It could have been real, though. Really. Back in the 80s, anyway. <laughs> Oh, that famous uh, little bit of banter right there between Ken and the Ken, Ken, between David Lee Roth yes. and the control room. Is this the song where at the very end he says, "Look, I'll pay you for it." What the fuck? Is it this song? He does say that at the end of a song. Are you aware of that? I am. Uh, I don't think I was ever aware of that. Oh goodness! Well, let's listen. Goodness gracious! Let's listen closely then. Maybe it's not this song. Yeah. No, it's not this one. Was it at the end of the Dirty Movies? Did we miss it on that. 
I don't know, I could be talking out of my hat there. Maybe it was on one of the earlier tracks and I forgot to point it out. So push comes to shove is starting right as we speak here. Yeah, and you know, I guess uh, we should mention, of course, that it, if you were listening to this on vinyl, Unchained would have been track one on side two. Yes. And uh, back in the days of vinyl, you know, it was very important to have a good song in, you know, in the middle of the lineup that would lead off yeah. the second half. That's probably less of a concern these days with compact discs, yeah. but uh, the running order was really important uh, back then. The thing I love about this song is, even to this day, I mean, I remember the first time I heard it, but even to this day, when I listen to it, and I, and I, I, I throw a lot of like nostalgia and, and abstractness to when I listen to music, but I can totally picture them being in some cold, like, very um, poorly maintained apartment as he's singing these lines. Sure. You know, I just said that I thought disco was dead, but here you're getting a little bit of that disco vibe in the bass line here. Yeah. Like I said, it's on life support, if not dead. Eddie's probably playing the bass on this track. I don't think Michael Anthony has enough fingers <laughs> on his <laughs> on his hands to do these bass lines. Is it not enough fingers, or are they just too short and stubby to? <laughs> he was a short fellow, wasn't he? He was, yeah. A lot of the great bass players are tall, lanky guys. Yeah, like you know, John Atwell, Chris Squire from Yes. Yeah, 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 another monstrous kind of a guy. Stu Ham. Stu. Billy Sheehan. Billy Sheehan. I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring this up a little bit. Yeah, we're just gonna be quiet during this solo. I just want to say. Yeah. Maybe you'll remember this. I think I think you're going to bring up exactly what I'm going to think in a minute. Years and years and years ago, I was pretty much undecided who my favorite guitar player of all time was. Exactly what I'm going to bring up. And you and I and Jeff were sitting in the car at a traffic light outside the Cherry Hill Mall. It was my car. That song was playing. And at the end of that solo, I, I just made the declaration yeah. that... Eddie Van Halen is... Yeah, that, that, and that particular solo had always been a favorite of mine. And I remember... I remember you listening to that song and that solo, and you and you were just like, "Okay, hands down." <laughs> yep. 
Now, I, obviously, while the overall tone of this album is much, much darker, this this song very poppy. Dave Dave kind of scat a little bit. You know, that was always kind of a hallmark of Van Halen was that Eddie wanted to do the rockers, and Dave wanted to do the the showy vaudeville type song. Right. And for me, you can't have Van Halen without both of those elements. And I think it was the push and pull of those two elements that made the band as great as it was. Yeah, I, I think I think most great bands, obviously there's probably some exceptions, but I think most great bands, there is there's some inner conflict between the band members that bring out the best in them. This was actually, I don't know if I ever told you this, this was actually the very, this was the first and probably only Van Halen solo I learned in its entirety was this song when we were, uh, when we were younger. I don't know any Van Halen solos in their entirety. True story. Yeah, it's definitely the only solo I ever learned from. Definitely very jazz influenced. Mm -hmm. fake book for this album. Why didn't you have the real book? I'm not sure. I, I think someone gave it to me. I don't even think I went out and bought it. I think someone I, I might have found it at a yard sale or something. But that's how I got the gist of most songs and then I started working out their real playing from there. You know, it's funny you mention it. I hadn't remembered this, but I have a sheet music book for this album. It's upstairs. But it's not tablature. It's, just, right. it's very basic like like the kind of sheet music you'd get to play the piano. Right. Was Eddie's guitar tone ever better than it was on this album? Oh. Yeah, that's 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 a good question and and I would say no it, it, it's thick it's nice and it's awesome like i said it's been stripped of that excessive reverb yeah. that they had on the earlier albums so what's so i mean there's parts of this song sunday afternoon in the park that i'd like but it's it's much more of a nostalgia thing i a nostalgia i think of you and i making fun of it in the past but wait, wait. Sunday afternoon in the park. That title is in stark contrast to the the feel of the music. And I mean, is this like a a mugger stalker? I mean, who's hanging out on a you know on right. an afternoon in the park? Right, right. That's got this kind of music. Right. Going on. Bad guy. Oh no, I I, I agree with I agree Purse with snatcher. I agree with how you're describing it. A masher. But. I guess my question is, is 
you know, do you do you think this song was was partially just filler when they recorded it? Possibly, but you know, the earlier albums had instrumentals. Right. This is the instrumental on this album. Okay. I don't think this is a laughable song at all, and I don't think it's a toss-away song. No, no, I, I, not laughable that we laughed, but we used to make. I remember we used to like laugh at like we could picture like some guy like behind like. Oh, absolutely. Three, four levels of keyboard oh, yeah. playing this like a maniacal genius. <laughs> yes. I love the sound of the hi hats in this though. They just sound like they're like they weigh a hundred pounds and they're made of lead. Yeah. They just sound <laughs> awesome. Lead hi hats. Hear that, Jeff? We're gonna get you we're gonna get you lead hi hats for our next outing. And now we're gonna close the album out with one foot out the door. This is a really good vocal track by Roth. Very good vocal track by Roth. Think back to when I would play this and uh, the line where he says, son of a bitch. I mean, I would blast this song at my house when my parents are home, and I'd, I, I'd always think, I wonder what they're thinking when this line comes on. <laughs> it's that long-haired freak son of mine listening to. That run, right there. Yeah. And after just 31 minutes, all too short, this album comes to its end. Short and sweet. Very sweet. So let's talk about uh, where this album ranks all time. Uh, all-time the, Van Halen or all-time albums? Well, let's first start with all-time Van Halen. Now, I have never been a, a real fan of the Hagar years. I'm just, I'm just going to say, for me, the real Van no, Halen, no, I, 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 the real Van Halen, the for real me, Van Halen is the Roth era. Ended a, with 1984. Yeah, yeah. So, if you're going to limit yourself to just those first six albums, uh, this is certainly my favorite of those those first six. How about you? Oh, it's it's certainly my favorite, and it's it's not in a it's not a um, it's not looking down upon VH1, uh, you know, and and 1984 and, and and other stuff that they did during that time. But I I think it stands out on a number of levels. It stands out on the musicianship. It stands out in that it it does differ from the other albums. All right. So of the first six albums, rank them for me. Oh y- your God. order, one through six. I'm gonna forget some some of the titles. So that's fine. Um, so this would be. I would go 
uh, Fair Warning, VH1, 1984. After that, it gets. Um, I'd probably go Van. I, I like Van Halen 2 a lot. So I'd probably go th- then Van Halen 2. And then Women and Children First and Diver Down are kind of. Eh, they're kind of on par with each other for me. Okay. Okay. Now here's my, my ranking Van, uh, Fair Warning, definitely number one. For second and third, it's a toss-up between VH1 and 1984. I, I think 1984 was the culmination. You know that that's everything that the original lineup was capable of, possibly. So for me, you know, two and three, VH1 1984, it's a toss-up. Um, after that, I put Diver down solidly in the next mm. position, and that that's a point of contention between you and I. Maybe that's that's a topic for a future podcast. But for now, let's just say that for yeah, me, no, I hey, hey you di- know. Diver down slots into the next place, and then at the end, it's it's a, again a toss up between VH2 and uh, Women and Children first. Those two albums, I never really listened to those back in the day. Uh, I got into listening to them much later on, and uh, I don't know, they just don't strike a, a huge chord with me. Hmm. So it's a toss up between those two. But I think we're agreed, absolutely. Fair warning. Fair warning. Best of the Roth era. Now, is it the best overall Van Halen album? Oh, if, oh if, yeah. No, I, 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 obviously, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little bit more forgiving of the Van Hagar years than you are. But again, it's no comparison for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best Van Halen album. Period. Period. No matter what era you're talking about. No matter what that guy who wrote that book <laughs> that we saw in that Dude, bookstore. Dude, if I ever find that guy, I mean, I'm not going to hurt him because that's illegal. But <laughs> that, That'll be a subject for a future podcast when we track down that author. Oh, wouldn't that that'd be great. And, and you know, and no, and, you know, in all seriousness, no, no threats aside, you know, he could totally come on this podcast if we ever decide to do it again. <laughs> Provided that he's changed his mind. And now thinks that fair warning. Now is the, he sees the light. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I um, but yeah, I mean, there are some. There's a couple bright spots to uh, some of the Van Van Hagar years. You know, I think I think the song Fifty One Fifty off that album is is fantastic. But oh, you, well, you but know, more I, so because it kind of reminds me of a song that might have been written during the Roth era. <laughs> well, I like I said, nineteen eighty four was maybe the culmination of what they were capable of, and that was by that I mean they always had a pop sensibility to mm-hmm. them and they were capable of reaching a larger audience. And yeah. I think when 5150, you know, and OU812, I mean, they went definitely into the pop mm-hmm. mainstream at that point. Right. Um, so that's really what they were capable of. But to me, Van Halen is the first six albums. It is. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to argue that. People will. Well, but people are people. And why should it be? Exactly. So I guess that uh, that ends the uh, the first episode of Off the Record, a vinyl podcast, a vinyl podcast. So um, and again, in the interest of full disclosure, no vinyl was harmed or used in the making of this podcast. Right. That's saved for our other podcast, which but, is based on S and M. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but let's be clear: the the vinyl. The vinyl version of this album does exist. It's it's literally about twelve feet away from where I can we're see sitting it. right now. I can, you if, can't see it listening to this, but I can see it. Well, if Ken could see through a, a ceiling, he could see it. I can see through ceilings. 
I didn't know that. I can. You didn't know that? No, no, no I didn't know that. No, no, no. I, uh, you, you learn things about people <laughs> during podcasts. Well, it's very revealing. Known each other for you know over twenty years, and I'm first. I'm just coming out with this to you. It's a very revealing medium. So um, I guess all the thing is um, the only thing left to do here is to uh, say um, I I don't have an official like email for people to uh, to send us their uh, their questions, comments, complaints, threats uh, over what we've said. But um, one <laughs> that was like part burp, part regurgitation. Uh, you know, when they say that, like, owners start looking like their dogs, I think <laughs> I didn't think that meant, like, regurgitating their food. No, no, that just, that went, that went down the wrong way. Damn. But, uh, yeah, so even though we don't have an official email for you to, uh, to, to send this hate mail to, uh, this will be on uh, YouTube. Wait, and wait a minute, There's wait, plenty wait. of ways for you to respond on YouTube. I just want to make an observation about the world. Go ahead. Why is there why is there such a thing as hate mail, but there's no such thing as love mail? There is such thing. No, 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 no. Hate mail is it's a term, it's a phrase, it's an accepted thing. But love mail. You ever heard that? No, I've never heard that. Why is that? It's a shame. There really should be. Well, on a future podcast, we'll talk about an album called Love Mail. Right. It doesn't exist, and they never by a, by a band called Love Urchin who barely exists. <laughs> oh, they exist. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, we are uh, we are signing out, and uh, um, hopefully this turns out well in post production, and and I don't have to come back here in a couple weeks and totally re-record this thing. <laughs> no, I think you're gonna have to. All right. It's been a pleasure, Ken always a pleasure so we're gonna clink glasses and we're gonna sign off this is jim and this is ken and, and this been, is you've yeah. been listening to off the record you have a vinyl podcast <laughs> have a good one man welcome to the epilogue of off the record a vinyl podcast so, Jim, uh, what brings us back so soon? Well, Ken, I got to tell you. <laughs> I got to tell you. Dur- during the <laughs> podcast, the Fair Warning podcast, I very erroneously uh, wondered <laughs> if the, at the end of one of the tracks, uh, David Lee Roth said, look, I'll pay you for it. What the fuck? And I was apparently gravely mistaken. How mistaken were you? Very mistaken. It wasn't even on that album. Was it at least a Van Halen song? Yes, it was. <laughs> and, and it was a David Lee Roth song. So a quick search of the internet says that it's Everybody Wants off uh, Women and Children First, which was the third album, the album that predated, or preceded. Preceded. Yes, preceded, sorry. So we're going to listen here to Everybody Wants Some, and we're going to listen to the very bitter end and see if, in fact, he does say... Look, I'll pay you for it. What the fuck? Okay. Because Ken says he didn't know that existed. I did, had I had no clue. I am as much as a self-proclaimed fan of music that I am. I am not a very educated man in that regard. You know, I'm gonna maybe just put this out there that maybe your Emerson record player was 
incapable of of resolving. Picking up. Yes, exactly. Do you know the lyrics to this song? I've had to look them up because I didn't understand some of the lyrics. But let's let's just listen. Yeah. Okay. Especially the next verse. This is a rockin' song. All right, here you go. Listen to these lines. What did he say there? Something about looking for a movie. That's all I could... Not a movie. Looking for a... I believe it's, I've seen the people that are looking for a moonbeam. Oh, that's very... That's very... uh, It goes back to, again, Roth's kind of fascination with early Hollywood vaudeville kind of stuff. I was actually going to say that sounds very um, hippie-ish to me, though. Moonbeam. Yeah. Moon unit. You know, it's funny. I don't know if there are any tracks from Van Halen that you would play at a party. Sorry, from Fair Warning that you would play at a party. But you put on this album, and you immediately think... I'd play this track at a party. Oh yeah, this 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 has got party written all over. And maybe so. This is love. Again, that was poppy off camera. That's but then, overall, yeah, I agree with you. Maybe the most famous breakdown of any Van Halen mm, song. Yes. Right here. Misogyny never sounded more fun, did it? <laughs> now, Ken, uh, in the vinyl version of this, you would have received a fold-out poster. Really? Yes. Do you know what that poster was? I, no, I have no clue. Oh, that's... Describe, uh, describe it, please. That is... Uh, wow. That's... Uh, what are you I'm not at? sure words can probably describe this. Um, it's uh, David Lee Roth in pleather pants. Chained to a chain link bench, F- fence. Wow, wow, this whiskey is hitting. Uh, <laughs> All right, that's like he's got a little Sebastian Bach going on there. He does. He does. All right, yeah. we, we got to be quiet now and listen to the end of the song. No, it fades out at the what the fuck. It does. Well, it was the 80s. Or the 70s, maybe. What year was this album released? That wasn't... uh, Speaking of whiskey. That wasn't 80? Uh, This album was... Nineteen eighty. 
1980. Turn of the decade. Dave's reaching for something with his voice here, isn't he? I don't have a I don't have a good comeback for that. This I'm still I'm still a little distracted by that by that centerfold of Dave. This song is just a mess. It opens up with whatever it opened up with, and then it, it is <laughs> then it's like it's a mini eruption right here, right? Get ready for it. Here it is. This is a mini eruption. Now this sounds like kind of one of our practices where we don't know what to play. But of course, Eddie knew exactly what he was playing. Exactly what he wanted to do. Well, that was the epilogue. That was the epilogue. We don't need to go any further. No, that. no. So, uh, again. Yeah! <laughs> Hopefully to... Hopefully there'll be an episode two of Off the Record. There's nothing stopping us. Except ourselves. That's never been an, an encumbrance. No, no, we've never really... We, we, we really don't have any... Uh, we're not dependent on Nielsen ratings. It's true. Or continued sponsorship support. True. Well, no. No, we have a sponsor. Pat's Chili Dogs? Even though they're not really in business anymore. Pat's Chili Dogs. Pat's Chili Dogs. You know, now that you mentioned it, Cinderella's not really in business anymore. <laughs> Funny how that happened, huh? I'm not sure they were in business when they were in business. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Tom Keeper. I said it. <laughs> 